Hey, thanks for tuning in to the 11th episode of the Ewang Bang Podcast. This is your host, Emil Wang. And before we get started, I just wanted the listeners to know that we have a couple of episodes coming down the pipeline. Keep an eye out for an episode talking NBA hoops, as well as an episode talking about a recent personal milestone. We do intend on reviewing a few more movies or TV shows before year's end, so if any listeners have any suggestions, please let us know. And now, The Defenders. Hey, what's going on, Wang Bangers? This is your host, Emil Wang, and this is the 11th episode of the E-Wang Bang podcast. I'm joined today by my very good friend, Jeff Liu. We're, uh, we're here to talk the Netflix series, The Defenders, which follows up on the Iron Fist, which we reviewed in episode two of this podcast. The show unites all of the Netflix Marvel series characters, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and the Iron Fist to battle the evil organization of The Hand. The show also reunites some of the familiar side characters, including Colleen Wing, Misty Knight, Night Nurse, Elektra, and Madame Gao. The series also introduces the ultimate leader of The Hand, a mysterious woman named Alexandra, who was played by Sigourney Weaver. Alexandra. Alexandra. <laughs> Now, for those of you listening, there will be spoilers, and I think you'll figure out very quickly from our review that you're not missing much if you don't watch it. So, Jeff, before we go into how bad the series was, let's talk about the characters first. Leading up to the Defenders, each character has already had one full season, at, at a minimum one full season of their own, to kind of right. tell their own whole backstories and you know, kind of show their whole universe, how they deal with conflict, and ultimately what challenges that they're facing uh, in their own little worlds of their little pockets of New York City, which, as for starters, is really not that big of a place. <laughs> and one of my initial problems with the show is that if there's these four great heroes running around and defending Hell's Kitchen, Harlem, and various parts of Manhattan, it is... It is astonishing that these people have not heard of each other or met each other yet. Because, by the way, they are all watching the news, I, I assume. Well, I mean, that's that's part of it. But, like, you, you got to – I'm not trying to defend the series here. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, you, you're not going to – it's it's New York. You know, you guys are a circus of, you know, freak shows and, like, all, all sorts of other crazy shit that happens there. So, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't really – blame these people for not really paying attention to. <laughs> but I mean, I mean who the fuck who the fuck would listen to a podcast called Trish Talk, you know? That's almost <laughs> as bad as a podcast called the E Wang Bang Connection. <laughs> the Wang Bang Connection. Ooh, the Wang Bang Connection, yeah. By the way, E Wang Bang Gang. <laughs> I, I I just think it's funny because the character of Night Nurse, you know, who who's prevalent in uh Daredevil and Jessica Jessica Jones as the nurse of Hell's Kitchen is like at the end of, I think, season two of Daredevil, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I got to get away from it all. I need a life change. She jumps on the, like, one train, which is, like, three stops up to Harlem. And she's like, oh, it's like a completely different life up here. It's like, dude, she didn't jump on a plane and, like, fly to another country or anything. She literally rode a train 15 minutes. 
Well, I mean, then you must have a problem with all New York series then, because, I mean, honestly, for a guy like me who has not really lived in New York, it, it, it couldn't be more, you know, drastic, the different the different neighborhoods that they're all, you know, crowding into. So, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, like, I, I think you bring a unique metropolitan perspective to... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess for people who haven't well, for people who haven't lived in New York City, they might not think of these details. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk some characters. Let's start with our favorite, uh, the return of Danny Rand, Finn Jones, as, uh, <laughs> as the the white boy who learned his kung fu and mastered his chi to uh, bring out the Iron Fist. You know, he, his story. Uh, Ironically, it is actually kind of the most coherent out of all of them. I mean, the whole, all of the events of the Defenders actually mostly ties into, you know, kind of his backstory, who he represents, and spoiler alert, his the Iron Fist is the key to what the hand is looking for. We kind of get that impression. They they keep on talking about it, but really, I mean, I think Danny Rand's story is as is as weak as it ever was. You know, he, he's still fighting this shadow organization that doesn't really show its hand or its purpose. And I, I mean, like, even when they do the, like, whatever the big reveal in uh, the Defenders as to, you know, they're all seeking immortality or whatever, mm-hmm. it, it's not, it's not, it's still not really a compelling story, you know? Like, you, you sit there and you're just like, okay, so he's basically a key. I mean, the the whole way that they try and keep the story, like, you know, a little bit exotic is is to is to make this um, make this thing that they're looking for so undefined for so long of the series that you know you, you the whole reason that you're trying to keep up with these stories is because they don't tell you what it is and you know in the end it's really not that interesting of a goal that they're going after you know like having Danny there is just I mean it, it, he's not a special guy he's just the guy that happens to be the iron fist at the time you know and that that doesn't make his character any more compelling you know he's still a white guy that you know fell into this power that you know most people assume that he doesn't he hasn't earned in any way Right, right, and yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't find his character compelling at all. But story-wise, I think the the whole plot of the Defenders ties into you know kind of the, the the villains and the larger plot line of what he had to deal with versus what Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and and Daredevil had to deal with. I mean, I guess Daredevil right. fought the hand a little bit, but um, that was all kind of a a, a smaller picture thing. Um, yeah, but you know, couldn't learn. You know, the whole concept of couldn't learn. The Iron Fist, mm. uh, the Hand, all that's explored pretty well in depth. Uh, in, in, in the in the Iron in, Fist series, yeah, exactly, yeah. So his story, I would say, is most probably the most coherent out of the out of the four. It makes most the most sense why he would be involved in this, but that yeah. doesn't save him from being Danny Rand, played by. Finn no, Joe. it doesn't. It doesn't. It <laughs> co starring whoever plays Colleen Wing and all the shit dialogue that they had together. Oh, I mean, man. just that opening, that not the opening scene, but the second scene of them in the helicopter where they're talking about New York. They're like, oh, New York can be anything you want it to be. Wait, isn't there a Jay-Z song? That, that... <laughs> you, you know, if if they had made each one of the supporting characters in this show a three-dimensional character, 
you know, if Colin, if Colleen Wing, okay, I mean, Colleen Wing is not, is still not a particularly compelling person, uh, character in this series. Uh, they didn't establish her as a strong character in the Iron Fist series to begin with. Uh, you know, she was basically a gang reject from the hand. And, you know, they had a second opportunity here to kind of like redeem redeem Colleen Wing as a character and, re- and redeem the shortcomings of Iron Fist generally, which was, you know, widely considered kind of a flop of a series. You know, all the critics said so. I thought so. And this really was their opportunity. This is their second chance to redeem Danny Rand and Colleen Wing. And, you know, it flopped again because they they still chose not to... Uh, not, not to not to like take any of the criticisms that were put forth for Iron Fist. You know, they they still just chose to go forward here and then you know um, pr- proceed with the thin storyline, the thin character development that they had before, and then just wing it for you know ultimately what was a budget Avengers series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I I think my problem with Colleen Wing is that they they have her involved in the very beginning not so much in the middle and then at the end she's like what she's one of the main fight scenes at the end like she's like one of the characters that supposedly reaches some kind of redemption which i i find really silly because they didn't portray her as one of the main characters throughout right she just kind of faded in and out yeah would just disappear back to her dojo and beat up a punching bag um that being said, I, I I think she actually probably had more fight scenes than uh, Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, or, I mean, I guess, that, 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 sorry, go ahead. No, I, I, but I guess you know what Luke Cage and Jessica Jones do doesn't really qualify as fighting. Really, it's just <laughs> brute forcing everything and well, everybody. Being being bullet sponges. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Basically. Um, let's move on to the, uh, the other, uh, uh defender characters. Um, Luke Cage r- gets out of prison. The storyline of him and Harlem doesn't really pick up. Uh, he gets involved with the whole, with the whole hand scheme, just because some children in Harlem are getting. Let's, let, let's not parse straws here. Okay. It's because some <laughs> black kids, <laughs> Got involved yeah. with yeah. the wrong people here. <laughs> yeah, and Luke Cage, as the hero of Harlem, has to get down to the bottom of it and save, uh, you know, save the kids of Harlem. And lo and behold, these black kids are involved with the hand organization. I, I, I thought, you know, Luke Cage, he was what he was. That they didn't try too hard to develop, you know, his character. And honestly, I don't want to go too far into the the, the series itself, but I, I kind of liked how. They never went in too deep with him in the first place. I, I think the show was more about Harlem and, you know, right. kind of uh, Harlem as a setting, and he was just kind of uh, a piece of it. Um, so I kind of like how they stuck with that. You know, they didn't try to develop him too much throughout the show. Um, you know, he, he still, he kind of represented, uh, he represented a place more than just a, a person, a, a person fighting demons, if you will. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I felt as though Luke really had the least investment mm-hmm. uh, out of any of the any of the people uh, in the ser- in the Defender series to to get involved in this incident. I mean, I, I mean, frankly speaking, he had one kid that he was looking over that you know kind of fell in with the wrong crowd, and he kind of had an investment to keep 
you know, Claire, the night nurse out of it and mm-hmm. maybe keep Misty Knight out of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, really, he wasn't he uh, in his series. He had the least involvement in the hand in this series. He still has the least involvement in the hand, uh, you know, and, you know, still, despite that lack of um, motivation, Luke Cage is still, I think, the most compelling out of the four mm-hmm. characters that we see here. And I think that's just a presence of character from Mike Coulter, who, who mm-hmm. plays Luke Cage. I mean, Luke Cage as a series was really hot and cold for me. It started off really hot, and I mm-hmm. and I thought that I would really enjoy it. And mm-hmm. then it kind of tapered off at the end because of, of poor writing. But, yeah. you know, in that in that interim, they still were able to develop, you know, a good three-dimensional character in Luke Cage. And he carries that, you know, that, that kind of carries over to the defenders. And really that Luke Cage is kind of just the, the voice of reason and all the craziness that goes on in the defenders. And I, I, I think he was the strongest part. He was one of my favorite aspects of, you know, an otherwise terrible series. I, I agree. I agree. Um, and, and kind of on the topic of the voice of reason, uh, people who, like the show say that you know Jessica Jones is is the character who asks all the questions that you know audience members would I don't think so <laughs> I, I and I, I can't stand Jessica Jones I, 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 I <laughs> talked to you about this and even from her own series which I think the series was fantastic the storytelling was awesome kind of how it strew away from Marvel being just like a an action series you know it was actually more felt like a detective series but jessica jones reminds me of like if like a high school girl or maybe like a or a freshman in college had to write a a superhero character like that would be jessica jones like it's dark dark, but like you know like sarcastic all the time you know what i mean I, i feel like high school kids and like young college kids think that like sarcasm is like the ultimate kind of humor you know kind of like that that dry like you know uh like basically anything jessica jones or like april ludgate from parson rec anything they say is always just like uh yeah i really like that or oh yeah that was really fun so they were the editor of like a high school literary magazine and could never like really depart from that is that what you're saying (laughs) exactly precisely (laughs) But I'm saying, like, you know, there's no, like, any line that comes out of Jessica Jones is predictable, right? Like, you, 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 like, the way the series is shot, the way she delivers her lines. I mean, if you watch closely, half of her lines are delivered with just, like, a squint and a sarcastic tone, right? Like, yeah, I, I would say literally half of her lines are like that. Well, I mean, I mean, it's funny that you bring up that point because. Like, there are a lot of people who are um, very enthusiastic to just jump on the Defenders bandwagon because, you know, it is it is kind of like a diverse um, cast, granted, you know, it, and the only diversity really is that there's a black guy and a woman on it. But, um, <laughs> you know, there and, and, you know, a lot of people are enthusiastic to define Jessica Jones as kind of a somewhat of a um, departure from, you know, the Gal Gadot's, the, like, nicely polished um you know, super the super heroine that that um, are the you know like the the supermodels of the comic book industry that she represents a real person. But you know, in your uh, assessment of her, just that she kind of has very predictable lines. Uh, I read an article from Kotaku that said 
you know, the 15 best um, Jessica Jones put downs of her teammates. And I was sitting there, I was like, you know what, that is kind of accurate. Um, you know, she, she, and, you know, I, I think to a degree, because I also enjoyed the Jessica Jones series. I thought that, you know, besides Daredevil, it was really the strongest showing out of the, like, New York Netflix Marvel series. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think that she showed a greater diversity of character in her independent series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when she came to the Defenders, and I think this is true of all the characters there, her character just kind of got watered down into its most basic strokes. You know, yeah, because it, it had to be. They didn't have the time to like properly flesh out all the characters. They, you just basically had to take for granted that the, I mean, the producers basically had to, you know, take as an assumption that people had watched all prior four series and had made their own conclusions about these people, mm. and then that this was really just, you know, a visceral on the cuff mm. um, expression of them, and that you know the audience would fill in the blanks themselves. Mm-hmm. But you know that 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 I think besides your own personal admittance that you really hate Kristen Ritter, which I disagree with. I really enjoy Kristen Ritter. I love uh, the bitch in apartment um, 13. I love some of the other stuff that she's in like breaking bad. Um, uh, but you know, I, 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 I tend to agree that this was one of her weaker performances and it may honestly not be her fault. There uh, may have been just a lot, a lot that was left on the cutting floor. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it, it's, it's not a reflection of her talent or anything. I think it's just a reflection of the writing of how people think that, you know, like Jessica Jones should be portrayed. It, it just seems so like, like I said, one dimensional and, and also her character development was, was really predictable. It's always like, Oh, she doesn't care. Oh, but she does care. Like that whole deal. I'm, I mean, granted, you know, all we, the same could be said about everybody. Everybody is very one dimensional, but so okay, yeah. Let, let's talk about Daredevil now because I, I think what's interesting about him is we've—it's been a while since we've seen him, right? Since the end of yes. uh, you know season two, where he fought, you know, with, basically season two was split into two parts, right? For one part is yeah. fighting the Punisher, which is fantastic, and then the other part, which is fighting uh, the Hand with Electro, which I think were atrocious scenes. Um, and it is it is wildly disappointing that they brought back Electra because I think I, I think she was she was awful. But we we can talk about that later. Um, okay. I, but I I think the character kind of the the internal uh, conflict that Daredevil has. I mean that that's just so typical of like any superhero movie where they're supposedly like a dark like character. You know, you think about Batman, you think about Oliver Queen as the Arrow. You know, you think about. Uh, <laughs> You know, even Spider-Man, you know, he, he's the product of some pretty dark circumstances. All of these series always have, like, in, you know, the the second movie or the second season or the third season, whatever. Like, it's always, like, right around then where people are like, oh, like, I don't want to do this anymore because it hurts all the people around me. See, this is this is the problem with you. You haven't seen Spider-Man: Homecoming. You're basing I, your assumption off of the previous Spider-Man, in which case I agree because Tobey Maguire was terrible and Andrew Garfield definitely walked that path. But uh, the new Spider-Man, Spider-Man: Homecoming, man, that's some bright stuff, man. It, I, like it really reinvigorates that. Hey, but, hey, you know, hey, wait till the second movie. It'll do right. the same thing. I'll bet you. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But. On your point, I think that um, what you're getting at is actually a very common 
uh, critique of the way that uh, movies and television are presented nowadays. It's superhero fatigue um, because, you know, the cool thing to do nowadays is to make your superhero a real person. Um, you know, to have him engage in these, you know, otherworldly activities and to make them face the consequences of them in, in kind of a semi-realistic environment. And that's what causes the darkness. Um, the, the, and then the thing here with Charlie Cox's uh, uh, Daredevil is they, they, they lose all the, the nuance in, in his character, just like with everybody else, you know, um, if you remember the first two, uh, the first two seasons of Daredevil, he had conflicts with his faith. He had conflicts with his professional life. He had conflicts with, you know, the um, teachings of the people who uh, got him to be actually be Daredevil. He was wondering whether or not Daredevil was even worth it, you know. And then there would always be a redeeming moment from it. It was actually a very kind of biblical story in daredevil which is why i like the daredevil series so much but again once you get into this like superhero mishmash where you have heroes from you know every different uh iteration every different interpretation of the marvel universe slapped together you necessarily have to simplify them that's kind of the issue that we had with um the avengers series you know and mm -hmm. i mean the first time i watched avengers I was blown away because it was just so fun to see all the characters that I loved in the same movie. Yep. But, you know, now that we've seen Avengers 1, we've seen Avengers 2, we've seen Captain America Civil War, uh, we've seen the uh, Superman, Supergirl, Flash, Arrow, Legends of Tomorrow <laughs> team up on the TV. I mean, you're really yeah. hitting that. Um, that point of maximum saturation in this sort of medium. And I think mm. that's kind of the reason why you're suffering from fatigue. And honestly, kind of the reason why I'm suffering from fatigue, um, because there are just no unique stories uh, along the superhero timeline, because Daredevil, I think is still a compelling character. It's just, I don't care to see him in this kind of dumbed down, watered down, you know, um, you know, fanboys wet dream. <laughs> you know, and that's honestly, I mean, that's what the defenders is. Mm -hmm. you, you put a whole bunch of people together, you 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 cut the budget on the writing, and then you let them just fight, and duel it out. Yeah, yeah, and, and and that's what I had hoped this would be, right? Like you have these these four people with different talents. Like th these talents were rarely on display. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have something to say about that, though. Like, I think that you have to, I, I think you have to consider that they really have to compensate for the weakest link because, mm. I, I mean, the defenders, even, I, I want to say that at least 60 to 65% of the entire series was them fighting. Like, there was, really? there was very, yeah, I mean, there were fights. <laughs> All the damn time, you know. the 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 season opens with Danny fighting some ninja in the sewers, and then you know it goes to like uh, you know New York City where they they're fighting again, and then um, Luke Cage comes out, and like the first thing that he does is go roughs up some people. They fight in the tower, they fight in the sewers, they fight in the warehouses, they fight amongst each other. Every one of them. Every you know every episode, there's at least one or two action sequences, and frankly speaking. They're not that good, you know. Like it's 
it's very slow. It's very mm. methodical. And, you know, you have to work around the yeah. actor's talents here. And because there's so many faces now, there's so many mm. recognizable faces, it's really difficult to, like, cut in um, some people who actually know what they're doing. So they actually have to have the actors there try and, you know, pretend to, like, look good. But if you look really closely at these action sequences, you'll see that it's really the stuntmen that are making it. They're exaggerating their falls. They're, like, doing twirls off of, like, punches. You know, Daredevil punches a guy, and he flips three times in the air before (laughs) he lands. It's like, okay, cool, dude. (laughs) We get it. Yeah, I I, I, I was going to save the action for later, but I think we're kind of into it now. I didn't have a lot of problems with the action because they made Elektra kind of that, that final fight. But mm-hmm. just the scenes of Elektra fighting Daredevil, Daredevil they make sense. It, 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 they're odd. They're kind of in a, like an S&M, like, creepy bedroom sort of, <laughs> sort of deal, especially at the end. But, like, her fighting Danny Rand, that makes sense. Her fighting Jessica Jones, I mean, Jessica Jones is supposed to be a lot stronger than her, but... Because she's the same size of Elektra, I guess you can kind of get away with it. But when she's fighting <laughs> Luke Cage, who the dude is like three heads taller than her, like, I don't know. And has supernatural f- powers. Yeah, has <laughs> insane strength and is bulletproof. I have no idea what the fuck she was doing. Like, <laughs> like she would like climb up on him, like, like run up his knee, climb on his shoulder, wrap his leg around his neck, and somehow he would end up like across the room. You're like, how did that even work? How was she so, able to generate that kind of torque to fling <laughs> bulletproof ass Luke Cage across the room? It just didn't make any sense. And I, I, I think that that was that was one fault that they had all four defenders try to fight Electra. That that was a very very anticlimactic fight scene. I think it happened maybe two or three times. But yeah, yeah, no, I, and I actually agree. I actually know exactly the moment that you're talking about when um, they're underground and Electra yes. literally. Yeah, yes. they she like Luke Cage. Like you can tell how much they rehearsed it because Luke Cage with his knee out like out yeah. of position for like a good second or so and you're like what is he doing like his his fist was raised but he wasn't throwing anything and yeah. then electric comes up like thanks mike it's <laughs> <laughs> like i got you led you know electric goes and jumps on and, and i mean that's 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 kind of the problem like you when you have that many fight scenes with you know like even i think charlie cox is a very um He's a very gifted action artist. Like um, he, he did a lot of the uh, fight scenes in Daredevil himself. Mm-hmm. But when you have like tanks, essentially like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, when you see the action scenes from their individual shows, they literally—I mean—it's not even a quick cut. It's more of like a slow motion sort of thing where they show you how tough Jones is. They show you how tough Cage is, you know, and then they just punch the other guys once. But because you have like all these different henchmen and like they're all different power levels and all this sort of stuff. They have to create this kind of nebulous feeling where everybody's kind of equal in strength Mm. and stuff, you know, because I I completely agree with you that, you know, if, if Elektra is strong enough to smash on Luke Cage, then there's no reason that Danny Rand should be alive. There's no reason (laughs) that Daredevil should be alive. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 I mean, like, you can even make the argument that, oh, yeah, you know, Electra needed to keep Danny Rand alive because he's the key. And then she still had feelings for, 
you know, Matt Murdock. But what about all the other members of the hand? You know, yeah. like Murakami was fucking holding his own against like Luke Cage yeah. and Justin Jones. Yeah. So was Madame Gao. And I'm just yeah. like, dude, like they have no fucking qualms. They're, they'll 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 kill they'll kill bitches like just <laughs> just to show. Yeah, I mean, I'm serious, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and like that that's the problem with like my res- the resurrection of Elektra too because. The whole black sky concept made no sense to me. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. We're going to use this very rare dragon marrow. By the way, like, how fucking Asian can you get? <laughs> Dra- yeah, at first I was like, what the fuck? Like, they're, they're like, is that a woolly mammoth? Like, yeah. No, it's like, oh, this is special concoction. Tiger's balm and dragon marrow make resurrection potion. And I'm like... Dude, what the fuck, man? And like, you know, that's 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 the treasure that they've been going after the entire time. So why are you going to go and waste some of this treasure mm. to resurrect Electra? Yeah. Who has no fucking idea who Danny Rand is. Yeah. As like Alexandra's puppet or whatever. Like, how would all five of those motherfuckers agree to this plan? It's yeah. a terrible fucking plan. <laughs> it's god awful. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, honestly, all five villains, they're not like mystical real people, you know, they're not really reading fucking scrolls and shit saying, oh, the prophecy says. They're all very pragmatic villains with all their different, you know, criminal empires throughout New York City. Yeah, they're they're just immortals, basically. Yeah, yeah, so when you, so when you get onto this, like, black sky bullshit, I'm like, where is this fucking written? You know, you, did you guys make this shit up? Like, when you guys were high on, like, woolly mammoth marrow or whatever, and fucking, like, (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, and then there's a black sky, and then we'll all be reborn. It's going to be great. <laughs> it, it's, it's completely uncompelling. And it, it makes the plot so convoluted and nebulous that you really doubt how competent the Hand is as a criminal organization. Yeah, yeah. And Alexandra as the, uh, as the lead, uh, the lot. And, uh, yeah, I think it's a good segue into, into that. Um, I feel like Sigourney Weaver's talents were... <laughs> Were, were wasted. Uh, I I mean, granted, I you know looking back, I don't think she was ever that great of an actress to begin with. Like, I but I think she has you, charisma. You wash your tongue. No, no, no. I mean, but she has she has charisma. Ellen Ripley like, forever. Yeah, yeah, Well, that's what I'm saying. She is fantastic as Ellen Ripley, but I don't think she's a great actress. I think she has good charisma. I, I think like and part of it is like she is the first female superhero, right? Um, but I. I, I, I still think like her like her charisma was wasted. Um like have you ever seen Cabin in the Woods? I have, Josh okay. Whedon. Yeah, so Sigourney Weaver is the is, like the, chairman or whatever. Yeah, the chairman, yeah. And her, her ten minutes in that movie she was fantastic. She had that presence, that kinda that evil, like foreboding like uh, voice. I, I don't know how to describe it. Um but she was she was scary. I mean, when she came out and like talked to those two kids about you know kind of the the whole deal about the world the demons rising and whatnot, like she was really really scary. I, I think she just lacked that here in the Defenders. You know, she wasn't a very very scary villain. I mean, she had you know she she was knowledgeable. She uh, had a plan. Sure, she was somewhat manip- manipulative. But, sounds like she went to college, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in the scenes like with where she was like with Madame Gao, like those scenes Madame Gao submitting to her was not convincing at all. Oh no. 
Oh, yeah. no. I, I think Madame Gao is a fantastic villain. Um, <laughs> okay. They, Daredevil Madame Gao was a good villain. Daredevil Madame Gao, who, yes. like, dealt with Wilson Fisk as the kingpin. I, I thought I don't, she was good there. I don't think she was very good in uh, in the in the, in the Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or yeah. the Defenders, yeah. But, I mean, you just right, kind of right. know, like, you know who she is. You know, like, what she's exactly. capable of. And then she submits to to Alexander, who, by the way, doesn't do, like, doesn't enforce Shit. anything. Yeah, she, like, yeah. does she fight anybody at all? I think she fights nope. Dick a little bit, or... But, no, she yeah. fights Electro once, and yeah. I was laughing my ass off. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, yeah, when she submits her, just basically puts her in, like, a like a yeah. half Nelson or Go. something, but... A wrist hold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, like, you know, she goes through with this plan and, you know, gets into motion and just gets shanked by Electra and then yeah. bye-bye Alexandra. Like, that, exactly. that's like, yeah, goodbye, goodbye Scorny Weaver. You know, it, yeah. it was so, like, out of the blue and maybe it was for shock value, but they don't they don't revisit any of that, which, nope. uh, and same thing with Stick, by the way. Stick, yeah. who, did he turn on them? I, I don't even know. Was he trying to gas Danny Rand to turn him over that that's never really made clear but he just yeah. gets shanked and yeah and he's gone. a lot of shanking a lot of shanking yeah. uh, all about the shanking the defenders so uh, it, I felt like a lot of the characters it you know it makes sense that you don't really develop the the, the defenders you know they're, they're already there you know they have their yeah. side characters whatever but if you're going to introduce new characters or make side characters more significant than they already are you you gotta you know you gotta have some legit closure and and uh, you know a better explanation of their motivations. And... I I, I want to get into this because okay. I was super annoyed with the caricatures that made up the head. And, and let's start with Madame Gao. Okay. okay. Madame Gao was compelling to an extent in um, in Daredevil and Iron Fist. Uh, you know as as the you know, weird lady that ran like blind sweatshops or or whatever in Chinatown mm. in New York City. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. You know, and I think a lot of the reason that she was a compelling character was because she was so wrapped in mystique. You know, you, yeah. you didn't know why the kingpin really respected her so much, but yeah. it was obvious that that was there. Exactly. You know? So you 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 thought that she was beyond just like a normal old Chinese pie gal parlor running like <laughs> prostitute mistress. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, when you get here to the Defenders, that's kind of exactly what she is, you know? Mm-hmm. She's that weird manipulative Chinese auntie that everybody has, you know, <laughs> and, and that fucking like tries to to move the puppet strings in the back you always know that she's fucking up to something and even though she talks to you very sweetly and with you know great deals of politeness your mom always tells you don't trust that one okay because she's a bitch (laughs) and then and then Mm -hmm. you you go to the other members of the hand and and they say this early in the series stick says this to the defenders early like in episode four or something like that it's like they come from the different nations that they came from. So you literally have a black guy living in New York that's like fucking from Zimbabwe or something like that and basically embodies every <laughs> African bad guy from New York stereotype ever. Yeah. You know, he's got that weird Captain Phillips, I am the captain now accent. 
he speaks in like nebulous tones, you know. He's got a he's got a whole bunch of like Haitian gangbangers that run with him that are armed with AK forty seven. Exactly. So you got that dude. You got that fool. You got Murakami who fucking yeah. just refuses to speak English. Yeah. Like come yeah. on. Yeah. And he's he's just basically the weird Japanese collector dude. Oh, he is always the lone wolf. Really? You're gonna fucking go with that? Like he just doesn't want to talk to you, fool. So he's the goddamn lone wolf. And there's nothing else about his character other than, oh, he's Japanese. Ooh, dude, he all hunts right? motherfucking bears, all right. And he gets no, them. he hunts he hunts endangered bears. Like uh, this guy is just basically a glorified treasure hunter. He brings Alexandra like a bottle of wine that's been lost to the centuries because he goes deep sea diving in like a fucking boat wreck or something that's not badass that just means this guy has a lot of disposable income all right there's nothing i mean like the fucking guy tries to like field clean this bear that he kills and by the way so he goes and he hunts it in japan and then he has it shipped to his penthouse in new york where he cleans it it. like yeah come on now you know really there's nothing mystical about this this motherfucker just has millions to burn all right and then he chooses to fucking like clean this bear in like a you know ultra high-end like Giorgio Armani dress shirt or whatever you know (laughs) obviously it's 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 detailed to be high-end so you got those you got those three guys then you bring back fucking Bakudo yeah and I didn't know what Bakudo was supposed to be I thought he was some like weird Japanese like Latin American (laughs) mix when he showed up in Ironhead but no he's the representative from Spain so what does he do he does what a stereotypical Spaniard does. He creeps on the Asian chick that he couldn't get in the Iron Fist series the entire fucking time. He shows up in episode 5 and he doesn't fight anybody, but he's got this hard-on for Colleen Wing so he just stalks her the entire time. Everybody else is off finding the defenders and then you have fucking Bakudo in the background like, Colleen, come back to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then the biggest character of them all is fucking Sigourney Weaver as Alexandra. This chick has no definition to her. She goes she goes into expensive restaurants and intimidates the waitstaff and then listens to classical music. Hello, I'm sorry. I know like a thousand of these bitches from Orange County, okay? Excuse me. I ordered mineral water and then like the fucking waitstaff goes batshit nuts because her husband owns the country club or something like that <laughs> there's nothing special about her yeah. you know she she's just there she's the crazy white bitch that you don't want to cross in there and that's you know i agree with you that is a waste of sigourney weaver's talent yeah yeah the, i i feel like and this kind of goes back to um how they're all brought together kind of their own storylines it took two episodes for everybody to actually come together and then realize what they were fighting. And then yeah. the last, you know, the last four or five episodes of them, you know, kind of figuring it out. But I really think that they, they could have built this up in their own series and just had left cliffhangers on every single one of them to just build up to this, where they look like episode one, they literally, you know, cross paths like that, that, that fight scene in the, uh, Midland Circle could have happened in episode one, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You you did not need two more episodes of each one of these guys, like Arrested Development style, like each character like figuring themselves out and and then uh, you know getting. Meanwhile, at the banana stand. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, and and I think that's what kind of took away from uh, 
the buildup of uh, the hand characters, right? I mean, they, they really could have just been evil people, you know, with with insane fighting skills. They basically could have just been the anti-defenders, right? Just villains that could fight also. They didn't need to plan shit, right? They, they, there didn't need to be any kind of discussions in the background. If you're bringing back a villain already, their motivations should already be very clear. And then yeah. at most you have Alexander, who's the leader of the hand, to to kind of bring them all together. Uh, right. But okay. Uh, I I mean that when, when you say people who are good at fighting, I mean really that's all these people are good at. You know, <laughs> like they they say, oh yeah, you know, like they own criminal empires and shit like that. But fucking Madame Gao is still operating out of some shit warehouse in the middle of Chinatown. You know, like nobody yeah. really lives it big except for alexandra yeah. you know so and and maybe murakami because he's not wasting his money like br- like bringing up staff like bakudo and M- madam gao is but you know at the end of the day the whole the whole reason the defenders are together and stick says it too it's like oh man daredevil is like one of the best fighters i've ever seen i'm just like seriously that's like that's your criterion for fighting like these people that like that came from Kunlun, that they're fucking good fighters. I mean, if this is really in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Iron Man and, like, and I, I don't know, like, Black Widow or, or Hawkeye fucking, fucking like, off these fools in one episode, <laughs> you know? It's, like, ga- it's game over, you know? Like, yeah. like, seriously, Matt Murdock gives Tony Stark a call. Hey, by the way, there's this, like, underground criminal organization. No problem. Like, 17 micro-rockets later, <laughs> the entire organization is felled. It's just... Yeah. It's kind of hard to believe. Yeah, yeah, they they should have kept them out of the out of the main universe. To be honest, I mean, I, I think that's how they try to kind of keep it interesting. Like, oh, are they going to bring them in, or are they not? You know, but it, it it's silly that it, it, they're in the same universe as the whole, the you know, yeah. Thor, the people, the people who fought off a fucking alien invasion, right? Exactly. But yeah, that that we you know, there's no way that they can even reach out to these people or call it Spider Man. Oh, okay. Because Spider-Man's yeah. in Queen, the uh, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. call that dude no. up. But yeah. I mean, on the other on the other note, like they they completely glossed over this. But apparently, all five of them were monks at one yeah. point in Kun Lun. Yeah. So yeah. like, what the fuck, you know? Like, <laughs> how, how did they fall so far? I mean, that's a much more interesting story, you know? Yeah, yeah, one that was not developed. Um. So I, I we have a whole, so much to talk about, but I do want to get to the end where you know the, it, it's a it's a basically a slugfest in in a tunnel where <laughs> villains come out like henchmen come out like video game style where they like crawl up elevator shafts <laughs> yeah they spawn like they, what made me laugh hella hard was when Luke Cage Jessica Jones and Iron Fist were escaping up the elevator like the the pathway to the elevator is clear. But they run in, and the moment the elevator starts going up, like, there's a bunch of henchmen that are just scaling the shaft, like, jumping in. Yeah. Like, it's like a bad final fight, like, stage. Yeah. <laughs> where, and they just punch people and throw them off the elevator. And you're like, uh, okay. Like, why weren't they blocking the elevator in the first place? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, why didn't they just cut the elevator off to begin with, you yeah, know? Yeah. Like, and, and why do they care at that point? You know, yeah. like, yeah. It's like, oh, no. They've seen our faces. Like, no, no fucking shit. But, like, those guys are criminals, too. Like, what are they going into? <laughs> yeah. And, and then the, the Matt Murdock Electro, like, fight scene, which just did not end. 
and the dialogue just kept on going back and forth like oh, I love you. I, there's goodness in you oh I felt the evil it's I was always dark me. man this is truly oh, me. please no no Electro you uh, I mean a f- fucking fuck you <laughs> <laughs> you know your name is Electra Nachos like, which, which I think me, her name makes me laugh too. Like Electra Nachos. Like it couldn't have been anything else that didn't sound like Mexican food. Like, to, to be fair, she's Greek. That's a legit Greek name. Yeah. That's been in the comics forever. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but yeah, like just that 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 one scene of them just you know like nonstop like just not even good fighting anymore. Just them trying to choke each other out, flipping each other over. And telling each other like how how Electra should feel, and all this time they could have just crawled the fuck out of that shaft. Instead, they just decided to sit there while the the building came down on them. Yeah, and you know, the, the, it wasn't even elegant enough to make it seem like Matt had a death wish. You know, because yeah. that would have been that would have been a very you know not not cool, but it would be an understandable solution to his mess. You know, mm-hmm. like it. He never seemed like he wanted to die. He seemed like he was very, he felt very guilty about Electra's death. But mm-hmm. Matt Murdock was never suicidal. He was just conflicted about his dual identities, you know. And to yeah. go from that to be like, I'm gonna die with my zombie girlfriend. That, that's kind of, <laughs> I mean, that's kind of a leap, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he felt guilty about it, and he like, I guess the whole point was he was trying to reach her, like in, until the very bitter end, he was trying to reach her and. You know, uh, bring her back from the dark side, uh, kind of a la Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader-ish, but uh, very, very, uh, very much of a stretch. And the fact that, like, 10 minutes after his death, you know, they uh, – and by the way, the, I, and I was telling you this earlier, the scene of yeah. them in the in the police room where all the, the three defenders walk in and huddle up with their, like, <laughs> loved ones, and then, and then Foggy Nelson and Paige, Karen Page are like, looking at the door like, oh my god, it's like, is he going to walk in? Because there's no other way for us to know if he made it or not. You know, there's no way for us to turn and ask these other three people that were there with him, like, did, no, did no. Matt make it? No. I, the only way I thought about know. that. I thought about that, and I was just like, man, these, these fucking defenders are jackasses. They want me, like, they see these two these two poor people in the corner, they want to be like, oh yeah, by the way, Matt's dead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, they should have gone, if they were, you know, empathetic, sympathetic people at all, they would have gone to them first and, like, been yeah. like, nope, like, I'm sorry, Matt didn't make it, you know, he died a yeah. hero. But instead, they had to find out by Matt not walking into the door. <laughs> You know, honestly, I think I think what would make the series like what would be a redeeming thing for me is if they had like an alternate ending where Matt Murdock slowly comes into the door to Chariots of Fire. That would be fucking great. That that would be like a slow motion walk down and then like falls into the arms of Karen Page and Foggy Nelson. Yeah, great. Yeah, (laughs) it's kind of fucked up because they kind of hint at like Matt Murdock having a relationship with Karen Page. They're working it out, you know. But then he just yeah. goes and sucks tongue with uh, Electra, and uh, and basically admits that Electra is the only reason why he did any of this, which is yeah. kind of fucked up. But who knows? <laughs> I mean, you know he survived, so maybe in season three they'll go into his dual uh, dual love interests of uh, which, which actually is a thing in the comics, which is exact. I mean, like the last scene with Math lying down in the Catholic hospital—that's a very iconic um, uh, comic book like 
uh, splash page that they did for mm. one of Daredevil's um, storylines, the mm-hmm. Reborn storyline. Um, oh, yeah, I, I read something that it's about him meeting his mom finally. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. So, so I mean, like, it's obvious that the set the setup is going for there, but I mm. mean, to to make to get him to that point through, you know, the conclusion of Defenders, I, I, I think was it, it wasn't a good decision. It, it, it was cheap. It was cheap. Yeah, he, he was could have, cheap they, they didn't even need to pretend like he died, right? They, yeah. they could have just been like, he got brutally injured and then like somebody just fucking kidnapped him, right? Yeah, or yeah, yeah, like something like that. But instead they have to go through like, they, they put all the other characters through this emotional roller coaster. Uh, and then they try to put us as the audience through an emotional roller coaster. There's like a bunch of people standing around talking about how they miss him and, you know, Luke Cage. Yeah. Thank <laughs> fake news <laughs> exactly like they literally draw out the last like 20 minutes of the show of like different yes. characters like being like oh like like matt murdoch leaving us like affects us all in this way and then the last minute it's like oh he's alive <laughs> and that with no explanation yeah and what so why the fuck did we just watch that last 30 minutes like what what was the point of it um we wildly mismanaged our budget <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can think of is uh, it sets up Luke uh, Iron Fist to to put on the Daredevil outfit, which did happen in the comic mm, books. It but... did. I I doubt that's going to happen because we haven't even seen Iron Fist in his like his green and ye- yellow uniform <laughs> oh, yeah. yet, yeah, and that's, that's what true. the fans are clamoring for. I yeah. mean, like as yeah. bad as Iron Fist is. I kind of want to see how they interpret that costume as well, you know. I mean, Luke Cage. Every time he, every time Luke Cage pops up with like a bright yellow shirt, there's there's a degree of satisfaction, there, you know. Like, no, there honestly is. It just Power kind of Man. like, damn, Mike Coulter looks fucking good as Luke Cage. Oh, oh yeah, 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 no doubt. He's awesome. Well, it's. Uh, I think this takes us about to uh, the end of the episode. Uh, so much to talk about, uh, audience members. If uh, you have anything that you want to hear about, please drop us a line. Um, Jeff Liu, always a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks for making time. Uh, this this is Emil Wang, and this is Jeff Liu. This is the E Wang Bang Podcast. Keep on banging. Keep on banging. Keep on banging, banging, banging. <laughs>